Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust corrupt, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The words of John Wesley, where it all began. You know, he went to one of the locations we're featuring in the podcast 13 times during his life. What you'll soon hear is the rolling out of an unprecedented project that is the living history of a faith. One. It's a lovely lift now and again to celebrate and say this is what happened. Thank you, God. One. I became really, really inspired and relaxed at the same time with the fact that all areas of my life could belong together. One. One. The One Voice Podcast, because we're all the same. A very warm welcome to the April edition of the podcast. And what a good deal of ground we're going to cover. Our regular dip into Coffee Time Chat is delivered by Pam Kirkland. Will it be something with an Easter flavour maybe, some verse perhaps, or a piece of news to warm the heart? We'll check in with Coffee Time Chat quite soon. I'm very pleased to say that a few people have told me how much they enjoyed hearing from Baby Basics in church recently. And that then prompted me to make contact with them. And Lisa Smith from the organisation is here shortly. But first, we head north. When we think of history, stories were frequently handed from one generation to the next by spoken tales and great books helping us to navigate what went before. Music too naturally plays its part in ensuring events and sentiments endure. As we consider the most compelling methods of recording such stories, we can't overlook the vital role played by art and its associated crafts. The history of Methodism and many of its chapters and vignettes are emerging at this very moment through the Methodist Tapestries Collection. The project promises to be a striking and emblematic one, and the genesis of this story is inextricably linked to the Weirdale Museum and the High House Chapel. Of course, when you say tapestry, thoughts often turn to Bayeux, but it was this Scottish diaspora tapestry in Carlisle that helped to forge the idea of one that depicts Methodism. David Hetherington is one of the co-founders of Weirdale Museum and its emeritus curator. And I'm so pleased to say that he's here to talk about this wonderful project. And he begins the conversation by recounting just how it all began. The Weirdale Museum, it's a small building. It's attached to a historic Methodist chapel. And in 2019, the Methodists who were worshipping in the chapel uh, got the news that... um, the Methodist Church couldn't fund the uh, the renovations that were required uh, to keep the building in, in good condition. And so it was going to have to close. And the Weedell Museum were the tenants next next door uh, from, from the chapel. And it was possible that we were going to have to find a new location. 
in the end, as it happened, uh, the Methodist Church made us an offer to buy the chapel next door for the museum itself. Uh, and when we decided to do that, it was obvious really that the museum was going to need to draw a lot more visitors to its door in order to um, do the renovations that were required and to keep the uh, the building going as a, a much bigger concern that we were at the uh, at the moment. And so I said we're going to need um, a flagship attraction to bring people to our door. And I said something like the Scottish diaspora tapestry, which I'd happened to have seen about six months earlier um, in in Carlisle. It was a, a, a travelling exhibition of of, uh, of this tapestry, which had been created by Scottish people from all around the world who were telling their different stories um, by way of small, well, I say small tapestries, about a metre uh, square tapestries. And uh, they'd accumulated something like 315 of these tapestry panels uh, when they decided that they would really have to call a halt to it. And I thought, well, that is something that would be appropriate to the building that we're hoping to move into, which was the chapel. And uh, it was something which, if we could get the right quality in the tapestries, would certainly draw a large crowd to our door. So that's how it all came about, really. And was there anything particular, David, in the, the Scottish tapestry you just referenced that uh, made you think, I mean, had you, had you been interested in tapestries per se, or was it particularly the Scottish diaspora one that got that grabbed oh. your interest? Uh, no, it was just by chance that uh, my wife was uh, invited to go to, uh, to view this tapestry in Carlisle, and I decided that I would accompany her and... Uh, and I, I saw this. This was before the the difficulties with the museum, so you know I, I didn't have that in mind at the time. It was just it was just later really that I thought now that's the kind of thing that might, you know, draw people into our building. Yeah, but it, it was clearly a very fortuitous uh, visit, fortuitous timing. And you obviously, I'm, I'm I'm compressing time a little here, David. But you you were very hands on with this. You began to draw. And you came up with, if I if I read this correctly, fifteen designs to put in front of the the trustees of the museum. Uh, how did they react to that? What was their reaction? Right. Well, I have to take you back a little bit before that mm. because when I first suggested it, I didn't have any designs, and of course, the trustees of the museum were probably a little bit skeptical about my suggestion that you know something that they hadn't seen and didn't know could be uh, an attraction for the museum. So I started off at a one meeting by saying, that's the kind of thing we could have. And of course, if you suggest some, something like this, uh, you, you're then more or less obliged to go ahead with it. Uh, and so I work a lot on the computer with uh, uh, designing and that sort of thing. And so in the next month before the following meeting, I thought, well, I'll design one of these panels just to show them what I mean by uh, what the Scottish diaspora tapestry looked like. So I designed a, a panel of John Wesley visiting um, High House Chapel, 
1772, and I took that to the next meeting. But of course, that was only one panel. So I couldn't explain the scope of the whole project that I had in my mind just by showing them one panel. So within the next two or three months, I developed another 13 or 14 panels which told the history of our chapel and showed what the possibility was for creating a tapestry which would tell a story, which would hang in the uh, in the chapel next door, and uh, it would tell the story of our chapel. But then I said, there's a much bigger project that could be done from this because we could actually do tapestries which tell a much wider history of the Methodist church than our little chapel. So, and and the the link to Wesley is is both striking and remarkable, isn't it? Certainly in its frequency, he he visited thirteen times, I think. He did. Yes, we were. Um, well, we're now a very small community, but uh, in John Wesley's time, it was a great lead mining area in the North Pennines. And uh, John Wesley liked to go out to industrial areas uh, where often, you know, uh, he was much more influential than he was in the in the shires. And so people had come before him, uh, you know, his evangelists had come before him and set the scene. And um, in 1752, he decided he would make a, a journey out there to see his new society in, in Ayrshire Burn. And uh, he followed on 13 times because the society grew and grew and grew and it became uh, the, really the centre of uh, Methodism in the whole of the North Pennines in Isabel. Yeah, this is a wonderful quote that I found, found where it says that on riding into the area, he saw, quote, both sides of the river sprinkled over with innumerable little houses, three and four of which, if not nine in ten, have sprung up since the Methodists came hither. That's right. That, that, that was a visit 20 years after his first visit. So what he was seeing there was a growing population uh, of, of lead miners in the North Pennines. Um, and, uh, and, and many of them were becoming Methodists because the church wasn't serving them particularly well in that area. Coming almost up to date with the tapestry, David, I mean, how did you widen the project uh, and bring in the skills you needed because I mean I'm guessing it would have been too much for one person and it certainly hasn't just been about one person so how did you go about that hunt for skills? Right when I convinced the, the trustees that this might be a going concern uh, first of all we decided to try it out on the um, on the Durham Embroidery Guild because I didn't know anything about embroidery, so we didn't know whether this was going to be a, a viable task or not. So we took it down to the Durham Embroiderers Guild, and they were quite enthusiastic about it, and they they wanted to actually design some of the panels themselves. And uh, once really that we'd, we'd got uh, their sort of go-ahead that this was a viable um, proposition that we were putting forward, uh, we really we wanted to involve uh, Methodists in this, Methodists from around the country and around the world. What we've found is that we've attracted embroiderers from around the country and around the world, but not as many Methodists as we would like. 
uh, because I think they've seen the, the quality of some of the work that the embroiderers have done and and uh, have shied off putting forward their uh, their own efforts, which is a pity because that wasn't intended in the first place. No, but we are getting lots we are getting lots of uh, interest from embroiderers, some of them Methodists, some of them not Methodists. Yes, I note that it's it's uh, reached out as far as Long Island in America. You had a contributor there. And, um, you mentioned uh, Durham. Uh, Tracy Franklin, who's the head broderer at Durham Cathedral, became technical advisor, didn't she, to the project? And so, so was it important that someone only had that technical overview, but also a link to a a religious building, I suppose, in, in Durham Durham Cathedral? Well, Tracy was known to. Uh... Our project uh, director, who's in charge of renovating the chapel, so he, he he just went to see her and he said, "Is this something that you might be interested in?" She came up, we had a meeting with her, and we showed her the designs that we had, and uh, she said, "Yes, I, w- I would be really interested in doing this." And uh, of course, Tracy, she has a workshop in in Durham, an embroidery workshop, and. Uh, and, and an outlet where she sells threads and, and various things to do with embroidery. So And she had lots of contacts, which was brilliant, because we didn't have contacts. Was there, and, and is there still, David, um, a particular creative style uh, that the tapestry needed to take? I mean, were there decisions on tone, colour palette, and, and even humour, or you know the, the way in which you depict certain things? What I noticed when we went to the um, Scottish Diaspora Tapestry and, and viewed that, one of the things that um, I remember coming back from there was that the tapestries were all done with exactly the same stitch uh, and, and they were all done to exactly the same pattern. And when there were 310 of them, eventually your mind wanders and you don't take in what's happening. So what I wanted from the first place was that we didn't stick to a particular stitch. We gave the embroiderers a free role in deciding how they wanted to st- stitch the panels. So they're called freestyle embroideries. So we've got some people who are doing applique and we've got uh, some people who are doing uh, other styles of embroidery. So that we kept a sort of house pattern to the whole thing so that it, when it's displayed, it's not higgledy-piggledy. Mm. We decided that the panels would be, they'd all be square, they'd all be framed, they'd all be the same size, and the story would all be told within a circle inside the framing with another circle just outside of that story which gave a small text to tell what the panel was about. So we have a sort of house style, but within that house style, uh, embroiderers are free to do more or less what they want. Yes, yes. I thought that's a, a lovely approach to take and, uh, and a fantastic way to uh, retell history and heritage and events. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, I gather from reading on the website, etc., on the Facebook page, that there's a panel that tends to attract the most discussion on the Facebook page. Can you tell us a bit about that, David? Oh, this is uh, this is probably the Ilti Moor bar <laughs> Yes, yeah. Story, I, I imagine. When we put out our feelers on Facebook for uh, trying to get people to to become involved in uh, in in doing a panel, somebody contacted us from the Halifax area, 
and she said, what I would really like to do is a panel about the hymn tune to While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks by Night, which uh, has been taken up in Yorkshire as On Bartat. And uh, she was really interested in doing this. So we worked, uh, I think it's the most work that I've ever put in on one of the designs, as it went backwards and forwards between me and her as to exactly how we should do it. Not knowing precisely what On Bartat was all about, I first uh, did a picture of a, uh, a shepherd on the moors with his hat on. And of course, anybody who knows the story is that on Ilkrimu Bartat is on Ilkrimu without a hat. Mm. So I, I had it completely wrong there. <laughs> and so, you know, we we had to uh, put the shepherd in without his hat. But it's uh, it's a lovely a lovely story. It is. It, re- it really is. And and before I let you go, Dave, I need to ask. Obviously, the the chapel restoration. What's the uh, the the progress on that? Is that uh, uh, fully complete? As it were, is it still ongoing? You know, how is it? No, I think possibly the tapestry will be finished before the restoration. Okay, we've got about we have thirty, thirty or forty tapestries being embroidered at the moment, and uh, uh, there are another ten ten more designs which are ready to go out to embroiderers so we get you know we're approaching 60 designs now in an effort to get up to 100 different stories that tell something about methodism but the the chapel itself it's uh, it's quite difficult at the moment getting funding uh for renovating uh old buildings heritage lottery and the arts council are interested in audiences rather than buildings and we would love an audience, but we have to have a building to put them in. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, Absolutely. so we're we're stalled a little bit at the moment, but we'll get there in the end. It just takes a while. Which shows uh, wonderful perseverance and inventiveness, and uh, it is it is a an extremely unique story. And uh, David, is there any scope if anybody hears this is a Methodist and also happens to have these sorts of skills that they can get in touch, or are you okay now for? personnel we know we would be delighted if others would get in touch uh, telling us uh, stories which they think are important to include in a methodist um, tapestry collection or just if uh, if they want us to design a, a, a panel for them and, and send them one off we'd love to hear from them especially methodists the facebook page if people want to look that up is called methodist tapestries collection and if they type that into Google, they'll find us straight away. Or if they want to look for us on the website, it would be Weirdell Museum. It, it, and it really is a great website. I and mean, I've seen both the Facebook page and the museum's uh, web pages. Uh, the museum website uh, has got so much information. I think sometimes you look at a website, it might not tell you a great deal, but um, that's certainly not the case with the, the museum's uh, website. It's, it's an excellent one. Uh, David, especially uh, in a weekday of an evening, thank you so much for making time. We wish you all the best with it and the restoration and the tapestry. And uh, if anybody does contact us, we'll make sure uh, we put them in the right direction. Thank you very much. Thank you. From the Methodist Church in Northampton, this is One Voice. You're about to hear the core purpose of Baby Basics, but not before Pam and Coffee Time Chat. I really don't know where this last month has gone. I met up with an old friend for coffee last week 
and was filling him in with what had happened since we last met. His comment said with head in hands, I am exhausted just listening to you. Your life is so chaotic. I took issue with that. I'd rather think of my life as busy but highly organised. However, pondering on his words, I have to say that there have been a few curveballs lobbed my way recently, which have interrupted and disrupted my well-planned life. I'm now playing catch-up. I have a mental image of God chuckling away. Because that's so often how he works. Just when we think we have it all sorted, God interrupts and disrupts. The call to something new. The stop sign which changes our lives. The small voice which won't go away until we listen. God, the great disruptor. As we go through Holy Week, to the devastation of Good Friday and the glory of Easter Day, we see God, the great disruptor, at work as never before. This Easter season, expect God to interrupt and disrupt and be ready to respond to him. It might change your life. And Sheila and Dave give us an update on the Easter Garden. We've just returned from the Eastern Garden. It was very rainy, but that's a good thing. Last year, all the gnomes were busy watering through a very dry spring. We haven't had to do that this year. The garden is looking very pretty and colourful. We have filled in the gaps with tete-a-tete and hyacinths. Thank you, Bella, for your donation. Today, Dave and I fixed a poster inviting people to take a Palm Sunday cross. Next Sunday, please take a look at the garden if you can. The stone will have been rolled away. A sign will be added to the scene and there will be something new on the cross if I get time to finish it. And just a thank you to all the garden gnomes for their labour of love. The Methodist Church in Northamptonshire. This is One Voice. Now for the story of a deeply caring charity and the vital work they do. Imagine hearing that sound, yet knowing there was nothing you could do to soothe or placate baby. What if all of the essentials, clothing, toiletries, a Moses basket and other vital baby equipment was completely absent, meaning you felt like a failure? Thank goodness then for the existence of Baby Basics. Working with a wide range of frontline health and social care professionals, it supports families with young babies who may be women fleeing domestic abuse, those seeking asylum, teenage mums and other challenging situations. The volunteers of Baby Basics collect, sort and then package a Moses basket full of essential baby equipment 
and demonstrate the love of God for those new mothers, with Matthew chapter 24 verses 37 to 40 as their inspiration. Lisa Smith is part of Baby Basics Northampton and is with me now on the podcast. Firstly, she sets out the scale of the issue. It's a really significant problem and uh, was exacerbated through the COVID situation um, with so many people going into a situation of poverty and also with the cost of living, really significant. And the work that we do with Baby Basics is both with people in situations of poverty, but also it may, it may not be poverty related, it may be fleeing from a domestic abuse situation or people who are in there may be pregnancies that have been concealed or you know very very early delivery of babies things where people are just simply not ready to have their babies so there's a mixture of poverty and other causes your role Lisa what are you responsible for within baby basics so I'm one of the trustees, so I'm a volunteer. I have a full-time job that's not related to Baby Basics, and I'm also a member of Grange Park Church. But my role on Baby Basics is as trustee, and in particular, my trustee role is, is outreach to churches in the area to raise awareness of the charity and to engage with them and uh, enlist their support. A lot of people do know about the organisation and what you do. I mean, if you just take the, the Facebook page, Baby Basics Northampton alone, you've almost 7,000 followers. But how much do you think there's still a, an underappreciation of the problem? There is an underappreciation of the problem. And I think there's also um, people maybe being aware but not knowing what they can do to help. And so one of the things that we do when we go out and speak to people is encourage them in ways that they can help. There are so many different ways people can help. So they can volunteer. We we have volunteers who help us in sorting the donations and packing them and preparing the starter packs. We also have people who just simply do washing from home, you know, washing baby clothes and, and ready for us. So people can help in that way. They can also help in terms of making donations themselves, even if it's, you know, while they're going shopping, picking up a pack of nappies or box of chocolates for a mum or something as an additional item in their shopping and dropping it off at one of our, our donation points. Also raising awareness with organisations that maybe they work with. So going out and saying, you know, could your organisation do a corporate volunteering day for us or something like that. So people are aware of baby basics, but they don't always know what they can do. But there's always something that people can do, even if it's just praying for one. Well, I should say just, that's a massive thing. But even if it's praying for us, just knowing that people are, are able to help in some way is so significant. I was reading that the referrals come from uh, through healthcare professionals, Lisa. Of course, any system has some fallibility to it, isn't it? I imagine that you, know, you and, and peers must have some sleepless nights worrying about some of the cases, the people and their babies that might fall in the gaps, as it were, sort of fall between the, the, the cracks. So we really work hard with that. We have an ama amazing group of referrers and, you know, part of them are, uh, it, it is that there are the health teams, the midwives and the health visitors. Also, we have referrers from other groups, like from the Women's Refuge and other teams. And we also, we have connections with other groups like CCC Social Action and people like that, so that we are constantly getting a, a stream of referrals. And to date, we've been able to meet every referral that's come our way, even 
during lockdown when we didn't have the donation points open and we had we were having to work on a real skeleton staff because mm. we couldn't have our volunteers in at that point. We've really been worked hard at making sure that we meet every referral. But yes, there is always that risk that, you know, there may be people who aren't aware of us and therefore there's not, you know, that there are referrals that would be needed and, and haven't come our way. So awareness is absolutely critical. Fingers crossed we, we can play our part too in some small way, Lisa. But in terms of... Thank you. Not at all. In terms of the most useful donations and where people can bring them to, what, what would those be? Well, we always put up on our Facebook page the things that we're most in need of at any particular time. Because maybe we suddenly get, you know, a shortage of towels or a shortage of hats or whatever it could be. You know, there's at any one time there may be a particular item that we're particularly low on. And so we always make that really clear on our Facebook page when we're lacking something. So we would encourage people to go there and look and say, what are they low on at the moment? All of the things that are listed on our, our pages as the items that we would put into the, the packs, there's a combination of things for the new baby and things for the mums. So it's everything that they're going to need for those um, first few weeks of, of life. And we also list on there our donation points. So we have um, various donation points around Northampton. There's um, uh, several, several in Northampton itself. So there's the Kairos Centre at Grange Park. We've got two of the churches in Duston. So Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints and St. Francis Church. And we've got Emmanuel Church at, at Western Favel Centre. All, all our donation points. And then beyond that, we have Wollaston, St. Mary's Church in Wollaston and Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Kettering. And then we also have pop-up points in the Grosvenor Centre and the Western Favel Centre at various times. And those we list the days of those so that people can do that when they're out shopping. We list when, when there are going to be those pop-up points for donations. So people can always find out from our Facebook page what we need and where they can take them. Yes, uh, Baby Basics Northampton is, is that very page and there's, uh, I think, a clickable link to the local giving page too and the Amazon wish list. So very, very good, very comprehensive. That's Baby Basics Northampton. Now, something that's equally positive, Lisa, you've got some uh, a couple of quotes, a brace of quotes there. Things that have, I guess, come back to you about the work of, of Baby Basics. I have a quote here from a community midwife in Daventry. We have feedback from those referrers. So here, here's one. She says, I see lots of pregnant mums from all sorts of backgrounds, some working and some on benefits. Some of the women I look after really struggle financially. And when I can offer them a Moses basket or a baby bath filled with clothes and equipment from Baby Basics, it's a, it really is a godsend to them. Not only does it give them practical support, but it also shows them that somebody cares, that they are important and that so is their baby. I really believe it helps those parents to begin to bond with their baby. I really value the service Baby Basics provides. Sometimes I've asked for equipment at short notice and they've often helped me. I really hope the service will continue and I'll support them all I can. I have another quote here from C2C Social Action. C2C Social Action has worked closely with Baby Basics Northampton for many years. They've provided essential starter packs for several of our female service users, which has enabled us to ensure ongoing engagement with them and develop the service users to come in contact with other professionals and agencies. The Moses basket provided is not just full of stuff for the lady and baby. 
we have seen it as a reason that mum and baby stay together, a reason that women have engaged in one of our shine or healing trauma courses that encourage self-development and positive self-reflection. All this is with the aim of helping our ladies turn away from life of crime and ultimately reducing reoffending. I also have an extract here from a letter from a mum who had thanked us and she had a, a real sense that because she couldn't provide for her baby, couldn't even provide the basics for him, that she broke down to the health visitor and really wanted, felt that she couldn't provide for that baby. But when the health visitor turned up with the, the basket full of stuff, the relief that she felt, she says, was indescribable and that it gave her the, the ability to start enjoying her son instead of struggling every second with the, the feeling of being unable to provide for him. So we don't have actual access to the mums. Um, it's all done through the referrers, so we don't have an opportunity to speak directly with them. But sometimes we get letters through or acknowledgements on our Facebook page from people who have been helped. It's just so wonderful to hear the impact that it's had. Just take in those words. We've seen it as a reason that mum and baby stay together. How powerful is that? Lisa Smith there of Baby Basics Northampton. And very many congratulations to them on reaching two very noteworthy milestones. The charity turned 10 years old this year, just fantastic, and subsequently issued their 2000th starter pack, which is amazing, isn't it? Also worth adding that they're looking for organisations to partner with, to collaborate with, uh, for them to celebrate those milestones. And if you have any suggestions for such a partner organisation, then drop us a line on the podcast and we'll pass it on to them. Thank yous must go out to Lisa, to Dave Hetherington of the Methodist Tapestries Collection and, of course, to Pam Kirkland too. If you get the chance to leave a rating and or review for this podcast, please do, if you can. It's always useful to know how we're progressing. I look forward to your company next time. Take care. The One Voice Podcast.